Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Well, hello, and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. I am so excited to bring you all this episode today. I have been friends with Gina, where we are interviewing Gina today. And Gina Cordham is one of the teachers that I found on social media a long time ago, who I have always admired and, you know, gently stalked from afar, because I saw so many similarities between the way that we think about curriculum over here at Brave New Teaching and the way that Gina teaches her classes. She is a fellow Midwesterner. Gina is in Minnesota. You might know her from her Instagram handle, Lit and More. And Gina has been teaching for 17 years. Yes, many, many years are under her belt. And I wanted to get Gina on the podcast for a while now. So we, we've actually been trying to do this for, for a year or so. Um, and now we finally have gotten together. And so what I think Gina really brings to the table and what you're going to hear today are the reality check things that we need to hear about what teaching is really like. Gina is the kind of person that I think you could see Gina or teachers like Gina who are teaching AP Lit, who are teaching a lot of like really advanced courses and think, wow, you know, it's so cool what she's doing, but like, that's not something I could do. Um, she, you, you're going to hear from her and she's going to knock that assumption down real fast for you because Gina and I and Marie, we all are of the same belief that all kids can learn hard things. All kids should learn hard things. It's about equipping yourself with the strategies and the things that you need in order to make that happen. So in this episode, we're going to talk a lot about bell ringers and structure. Um, She's got a free download for us, which is so amazing that she donated to the podcast. So in your show notes, be sure to go visit and download Gina's bell ringers that you hear about today. We're going to talk, we're going to check in about NCTE. I'm so jealous and FOMO'd so hard about her experience being able to go um, in 2023. And we're also going to talk a lot about Shakespeare because Gina teaches an entire Shakespeare elective. Yeah, like a semester long elective on Shakespeare. And she said it is the most popular class at her school. What world is this? Yeah. So this episode is going to be really juicy, really fantastic. And if you love what you're hearing from Gina, we would love to encourage you to please give happy hour a try this month because Gina is also our featured guest on happy hour. She has her own episode. We handed her the mic for one episode of happy hour this month. And then Marie and I are doing an episode where we kind of break down and debrief the resource that she's given to happy hour members, which is 
freaking brilliant. I'll tell you about that in a minute. And then we're going to kind of like break down the rest of the month with some other really fun happy hour things that are going on. So Gina is the star of the show for all of December. And we just want to thank her so much for being part of our journey. And happy hour members this month, when you guys get your email, be sure to download the resource coming from Gina. It is so brilliant. Uh, She has a resource for us where we can give personality tests to characters in novels. Like, Think about Macbeth. What would his Enneagram be? Um, the, you know, this resource really gets students into the critical thinking levels of attaching things that we know about personality and life and science and behavior to our fictional characters, which is just like that perfect marriage of what resonates in the real world with things that feel a little distant and difficult. And we know that when those two things come together, we have critical thinking, we have rigor, we have all the things that we're looking for in our English classroom. So to recap, one, enjoy this episode. This conversation with Gina was just delightful. And number two, download your free bell ringers. You definitely want to make sure you've got a hand on those. And then finally, number three, hop over to happy hour. You're just going to get on there by going to shop.brainnewteaching.com and you can sign up for happy hour for the month of December. And then you can continue as long as you want or as little as you want. But we definitely want you over there for December so that you can see more of Gina's brilliance. Without further ado, I believe it's time to cue the music. You're listening to Brave New Teaching, and we are so much more than a podcast. We give teachers the inspiration, support, and tools to challenge the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a former English teacher from Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm a teacher from Southern California. Join us at bravenewteaching.com to find out more about our courses, festivals, and get every episode's show notes. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. All right, everyone, we are back, and I am so excited to have Gina Cordum on the podcast. Gina, say hello to everyone at Brave New Teaching. Hello, everyone. Hello. Okay, Gina, we introduced you in the intro, but this is your chance to kind of give your spiel. Who you? What's your deal? Why are you here? Why do we love you? Tell everyone who you are and what's going on in Gina's life. Okay. So I'm Gina Cordum. I'm a teacher in St. Paul, Minnesota. I teach 10th, 11th, and 12th grade at a private school. So I'm the I'm the only teacher of all the classes that I teach. So um, it's a lot of preps, but kind of smaller class sizes. And I have a TPT store. I have a website. It's called Lit and More, if you have ever heard of it. Um, I mostly have kind of, I got my start in, with knowledge of AP Lit. That's kind of what what brought me down that avenue because I think I'm in my math. I think I'm in my 17th year of teaching somewhere around that number. Um, and every single year I have taught AP lit. I am a rare case where wow. I was like fresh out of college, 22 years old teaching AP lit. And it's not cause I was that good. It's cause we were that desperate. Mm-hmm. And so I have been that new AP lit teacher who didn't get curriculum, who didn't really know what they were doing and then kind of had to self teach and learn my way out of there. And so that kind of brought me to this avenue. I don't want people to feel that way. And we have not just with AP Lit, with every subject, so many new teachers who 
are given a class the day they're supposed to teach it. And like, that's literally a stress dream that I have recurring <laughs> all the time is suddenly you're like, you're teaching a lesson, go. And you don't know what you're teaching it on. And that's that's the reality for so many people. So that's kind of why I do so much extra of what I do. I just, I want people to feel that they always have something they can do. They always have something in their back pocket and that to be heard that it's not just about having the knowledge, it's also about having the resources and about having the confidence and all of that to do what you're doing. So I really love poetry. That's kind of a weird thing. I love Shakespeare. I love, I love Shakespeare in a really weird way. Not like I hate the sonnets. I'm not like a classical person. I'm just like, I I, I really like him. And so I think that I just kind of, (laughs) I'm still kind of 16 and I have ADHD (laughs) also. And so I think one of the ways that I find success is I'm very good at thinking like a teenager. And so kind of know how to make lessons that maybe get that attention span that's really short or people who say, how am I ever going to need this? When am I going to use this? I think that way all the time. So I don't know. That was a meandering kind of backstory. Oh, and I have three kids and a husband. I should. Oh, those people, those people too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They they're here too. Um, they're currently watching a movie in the basement, so being nice and quiet. But and two I dogs. Think, so I feel like we're estranged, long lost twin sisters. Uh, everything <laughs> you just said, I bet everyone's like, "Yeah, that sounds like Amanda." Yeah, yeah. Check, check. check. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of that. I am so excited that you're here because you are. We are with kindred spirits in this world that we try to call, we try, we do call brave new teaching, but we try to create, right. These yeah. spaces that people can find, like, I don't know about you. I know you said that you, your, your school is small and I've taught in, and generally larger schools, but yeah. still felt that isolation. And it's hard. It's harder than I realized to find like-minded people until I started looking on social media and I was like, yeah. oh, we're all here. Mm-hmm. Hi. All of my, so many of my friends in AP Lit, because I have a friends with, they're all over the country. And I've met them all through the internet, through social media, like, because there's no one else at my school that teaches AP Lit. So you do, I was alone for a really long time. And it's important to make those connections. Especially in a profession where if you have self-doubt, there are repercussions for that, right? Like your, your doubt can transform into like classroom management issues, right? Because you're hesitating or it turns into, you know, a a vortex of lessons that you're just not feeling good about. And then it's just, it's really hard to recover. Um, So imposter syndrome is very real among teachers and I feel like it shouldn't be, but I mean, look at what we kind of get from every, from every angle, you know, the students are saying this is dumb and the parents are saying this is too hard. And, you know, we just have to exist in the middle. Yeah. 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 Um, But you have a resource to share with everybody. So we're going to kick off, like, let's walk through this bell ringer resource because Marie and I talk about bell ringers all the time. Well, we talk a lot about structure. So like our big, especially when we're talking about like beginning of the year, like resetting the year, a lot of times we will come back and like pound on the door of revisit the structures of your classroom because those things are worth your time and energy. For me, one of those has always been bell ringers and I can like put my finger on the day where I'm like, it's fine. We'll skip it. And like 
how everything just spirals down from the one day that I was like, it's fine. There's an assembly. Like I regretted everything. So bell ringers are, are so versatile, but like, why don't you talk about just the structure, but also what you're sharing with everybody today? Sure. So what I have is a year-long resource of bell ringers that can be used in ninth or 10th grade. I started, I created these because, well, actually, I'm more turned to bell ringers that I tried to find elsewhere from TPT as a buyer first. I really hate trying to take a, a unit that I love. Like right now, we're doing Fahrenheit 451 with uh. my sophomores. Love that book. But I hate having to stop and be like, okay, vocabulary, friends. Let's talk about this word. How's it used in context? It feels phony. It slows me down. I want to talk about Mildred. You know, I just don't want to do that. And then if I move it anywhere else, then my final has to change because all the vocab is different. And so I just hated having to infuse vocab, lit terms, grammar. I don't know how to infuse grammar anywhere. And so it was really a struggle for me. And I I wanted to do that first. The idea was the first five minutes of every class is going to be spent on that stuff. And so for a while I was using other people's stuff and it was okay, but it was never really like the words that I wanted or the style that I wanted to do it, or it was missing half the stuff. So I spent a whole summer making this. They are designed. I'm a big believer in students being able to take AP Lit or AP Lang no matter what. I think that that's that's too much of a gate-kept class. And so, so much of these are designed for future AP Lang and AP Lit students. So the vocabulary, it's like PSAT. It's on level for ninth and 10th. I mean, vocabulary is vocabulary. There's, I put some ideas for how to spice it up, but it's still going to just be vocabulary. Lit terms, I, I get frustrated when the lit terms are like metaphor, simile, protagonist, because <laughs> they've been learning that since second grade. And I know because I have second graders in my house now and I hear them talking about that. And so it's not that the words are harder, but they're just a little bit more like instead of studying protagonists this past week, we talked about tragic heroes. And then what's a tragic flaw? And what's a tragic flaw in characters that you know? Like we talked about Romeo and Juliet. We talked about Sirius Black. We talked about Achilles. Like what are their tragic flaws? And that's that's just a little bit more pushing them just a bit further than maybe they're used to. Every week also has nonfiction. And this is, again, kind of prepping them for AP Lang, but also we have it in Common Core Standards informational text. So it's just like one to two paragraphs, an excerpt of nonfiction. And we talk about what's the purpose for this speaker? What's the goal? What was what was her main idea? And how is she trying to get there? It's like one question from one excerpt. Um, and then we do grammar. When I was in middle school, my favorite thing, the only thing I've ever liked about grammar was when you had to find the mistakes in a sentence because I didn't have to explain. I love that. I hate saying the word clause or like verb tense. I don't like knowing. It's too much like math. I don't like knowing the proper words for everything, but I know when it's right and I know when it's wrong and I want to know how to fix it. And that's what I tell my students like, okay, I, I don't care if you don't know exactly what a gerund is, but you better know how to use a semicolon if you're going to write in this class. So it's really the purpose of practical grammar. So we have these sentences that have errors. So basically the setup for this lesson is one day you will do vocab. One day you will do a lit term lesson. One day you will do a nonfiction lesson. One day you will do a grammar sentence. And then on the last day you would do a quiz. I do a five point, five question quiz every Friday. And so the first five minutes 
of every day in my class starts with a bell ringer. And then the freebie that you would get is the first week of this resource. So you would get the vocab, the lit term, the, what are they? The the lit term, the the grammar, and you get the first week's quiz all in one document. And if you... If you've already started your year, it's a really good thing that you can implement mid-year. I think the first time I tried this, I started it in January, and they were like, oh, okay. I mean, they they, they got right with it. So, um, so yeah, that would be what the freebie is, that whole first week of materials. I love it because, I like you said, like it's there's a fine line between shopping around and using other people's things and then just saying, I need to make this for myself. And yeah. so I love, I love this idea of sharing a freebie because for me, what I would love about that is like getting to like step into someone else's brain mm-hmm. of like how they structured this week, how they organized it. And then like, you can experiment with that and you can love it and you could love it more. Or you can be like, huh, like this is okay. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. Like, and, and there's no risk, right? Yeah, there's no commitment to it. No. Um, it also comes with like a, a handout, like a student right. handout with all those things laid out. That was another thing. The ones that I was finding pre-made were all just the teaching materials. But I know my students, if I say, get out a sheet of paper, that sheet of paper is being thrown oh, yeah. away or left behind. So right. they needed, like my students have this bell ringer packet that they get out every single day. We start the day with it. I love a packet. I hate the word packet, but honestly, it does have it does have some value. For a long time, we were trying to avoid saying the p word, and I've just given up. <laughs> but there, like, there's some kind of it's so bizarre, right? Like, there is a level of respect given to a thick, stapled it's packet true. that's not given to the half sheet of paper. Yep. When I give it out on like the third day of class, they're like, "Oh, dang!" Yeah, and I'm like, Don't, "This is all year, guys. This is all year." And they're like, "Oh, okay, okay." But yeah, it's like revered and respected (laughs) well yeah yeah like when we're talking we've been talking about this too like for you know years and years but like this this constant battle between like digital and paper like whenever possible i am going to the copy machine like i digital is wonderful for me to like to have like an archive or like people were absent like lord help me if i'm trying to organize like printed materials for absent kids um but like no i i give them hand like Mm -hmm. this is in your hands with your actual writing utensil as much as possible. Yes, I agree. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so do you do this with all of your, you have many, many sections of what yeah. you teach. Do you do this exact thing with everyone or modified versions with different levels? I do this with all of my 10th graders. So okay. I have both honors 10th and I have on level 10th. Um, my on level students, we don't very often do the nonfiction. They're not usually there or we save the nonfiction and we start doing it in the second semester. Okay. With honors, we do it all. And then I have a different set of bell ringer materials that I do with AP Lit. Um, okay. And I don't have it for any of my other electives, but all of the 10th graders do it. Let me put you on the spot for a quick second because we're going to take a break in a minute, but I want to put you on the spot for a question I did not prepare you for. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So this conversation has come up with Marie and I in recent episodes, and we've been talking a lot about literary terms and literary analysis. And I'm wondering your thoughts on kind of like how we are able to, and how you've been able to strike the balance between kids learning terms, but kids also letting go of correctness when they get to the writing and analysis part of their journeys, right? Like we've been kind of going back and forth about this. Like for the most part, like I have been saying like, yes, I kind of want you to learn terms, but I also don't want you to learn them to the point where you're crippled by like not being able to continue writing because you're so worried about getting the term right. 
How have you seen that in your, even in your pre AP kids, your, your lit kids? Like, and, and what have you done to help mitigate that? I would say, especially I have to lean on like, I'm an AP scorer. So I read the essays too at the for college board. And so often teachers go into thinking that if you don't label it the exact right thing, the whole answer is going to be wrong. That's a very math science history approach where they have to make sure they have these buzzwords. English is so much more about style and argument. If you're arguing that this poem is making this point of view, but you maybe forget to say the word metaphor, but you use the word comparison, we're going to count that. That's really what it's. And if you just say, look, a metaphor, look, it's a sonnet. And that's all you can tell me is that it's a sonnet. You haven't told me anything special or groundbreaking about this poem. So we're so much more interested in the argument that you can make. Um, I tell my students that the lit terms are like sprinkles on a donut. Okay. It's really great if you can put them in there and dust them in as you go, but you don't want to build your entire essay or argument around these buzzwords that really mean nothing outside of how you use them. So that's why, again, I don't want to just teach them like fancy words. Like one of my favorite words to teach is juxtaposition. And I don't want them to go juxtaposition. No, I want them to be like, wow, that's really, they're really walking side by side there. Like they're contrasting. Oh my gosh, they're juxtaposing. It's juxtaposition. Do you see that? And then they can put that in an argument. And then now it's got not just a buzzword, but it has style and it has persuasiveness behind it. So I think that it's good to have those words in their back pocket, but it's just like tools in their toolkit. It's certainly not the main thing that they should be learning. But I think that's just just more to your point of five minutes of bell work. Yeah. Like it's there. Cause we can also can't like ignore them. Right. We're not yeah. going to say that they don't exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, we don't want, but like you're giving a- attention to them, but not to the point where it's this like rite of passage. Like you can't right. you'd only be an AP lit if you can say synecdoche. Right. Exactly. <laughs> synecdoche is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> what do you make sure to say synecdoches are so stupid. So <laughs> I hope that that reassures listeners coming from a scorer. Uh, I've never scored an AP exam, but I, I've learned from people who have told me the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that the struggle I've found is that I've actually had to help kids unlearn this. Yeah. That's actually been harder than what you're describing. Like, I feel like if kids came to me as a blank slate, like a true blank slate, I feel like this wouldn't be quite as big of an uphill battle. But like, I have so many kids who come and they're like, but I have been quizzed on lit terms since I was in second grade. I want to tell you that this is a simile. Yeah. And nothing else. Right. (laughs) I get that a lot too with um, thesis statements. Like they have been given so many template thesis statements, especially um, I get a lot coming off of a history class, like an AP US history class. And they say, no, this is my thesis. And I say, no, that is a run on. Uh And they're like, but I... I, I'm writing the thesis that I learned in a- AP U.S. history. And I'm like, that is an AP U.S. history thesis. To me, all I see is a whole lot of words and not a whole lot of sense. Like, what are you trying to say? And then they'll say it plainer and simpler. And I'm like, okay, throw in an adjective. And that is a gorgeous thesis statement. Why are you using 60 words in your thesis statement when, you know, you could get it done in 25? And so, yeah, unlearning some stuff that's just been kind of locked in there because it's the way that it's done is quite difficult. Well, and it would be nice if college board could like get together and like figure out all these cross, you know, how they're sending all these mixed messages to kids. And then, and then you, I get used to get, and this is totally off traffic, off topic, but I used to get so many kids coming out of AP bio who were 
so spent by the, the, the sheer volume of memorization and all the things that were quite literally working against in our department. <laughs> and well, that one is so much based on the terms. They have to know those terms or else they will fail, that kind of thing, which is so much different from in English. It's so different. And like they are, and we're trying to help these kids also like move out of black and white thinking mm-hmm. into this gray area that like, okay, it is possible to need to do this for one subject area and not another. And like the development stage that we have them in is just incredibly tricky. Okay. Let's talk about NCTE. What was your highlight of NCTE 2023? It sounds terrible to say Tom Hanks, so I won't say Tom what? Hanks. What? I was so phoboing everything. That was, okay, it was, I mean, just, you felt so validated that Tom Hanks was willing to come and see you. That was what, I mean, yeah, what he said was amazing. And he, it was it was terrible to be like, oh my gosh, this is like one of the most famous and beloved actors in American culture. And he came... He he didn't get paid. He came with no fee. He just said he wanted to he wanted to do this. So he was like he came as a donation. And he spoke for an hour and he went over. He went over an hour. And so it was I don't know. It was just like, you know, teachers don't get, you know, they it's always like, well, they don't get the attention they deserve. And it felt like he was really trying to go out of his way to kind of give us a little bit of attention. Wow. His sister or his sister-in-law, I can't remember which it was, but is is a teacher. And so he he called on that a lot. But no, that was definitely something that I'll remember is that I was in the same room as Tom Hanks for an hour. That was a pretty cool thing. I bet he looked at you. I bet he looked at you. Um, there was probably yeah, eye contact. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was, I was a little ways back, but no, I know that he knew I was there. He knew it. He knew it. <laughs> I, I was so jealous. Well, yeah, I think, yes, that what you said are all the good reasons. I have a lot of other like dorky reasons, but yes, I think that's wonderful that you were able to see him. What else were, were some highlights from the, the conference? Um, another elective that I teach is journalism and journalism has been incredibly self-taught and that's where a lot of my imposter syndrome comes from. I've never taken a journalism class. I never had a school that had a newspaper, so I didn't get to write for the newspaper. And so I really wanted to go to some sessions on, you know, how to teach journalism. And what I saw there was a lot of people saying, am I doing this right? And they were doing the same stuff as me. And then this master journalism teacher from the University of Miami, like he's, he's amazing. He's like, yeah, you're doing it right. Yeah, you should be doing this. And I was like, I'm doing this. (laughs) That was very validating too. Just like, okay, my, and other people saying, well, we print twice a year. And I'm like, wow, we print like every other week. So look at me, I'm actually doing something. So it was just really, it was my first PD ever with journalism. And I really needed that. I also... I really wanted to go to some sessions on AI, like how do you, should you use it? Should you combat it? And I got good tips on both. Like when can you use it? When should you be watching for it? There was a really great lesson where you have students read a simple poem. They used um, like, this is just to say by William Carlos Williams. Okay. And they're like, okay, this is a pretty straightforward poem, but also it has layers if you, if you pick at it. And then you try to have chat GPT write a poem like that, but you're not allowed to say, write it like this. You're not allowed to use the words of that poem or the author. Okay. And so when students put their 
when they put their instructions in, they actually are analyzing the poem because they're like, no, you have to say it from this point of view. Uh He'll make it like he's sorry, but he's not really sorry, you know? And so then you hear them, they get so much more out of the poem when they're trying to instruct a bot on how to write a poem like it. That is brilliant. I am deaf. That's going to be like first day poetry lesson for my 10th graders when we get there. So I was really excited for that. Masterclass on voice, right? I know. I know. It was brilliant. It was so... Yeah, he said like he heard one student talking this for a different poem. They're like, no, it should be like he's beckoning the reader to come. And I was like, when has a student ever said that word before? You know, other and it just came out naturally. So that was a really cool idea. Oh my god. So yeah, NCTE was just I mean, I went to a couple of sessions that weren't great. That's kind of every PD, but I, I got a lot of it's just really good being around other I get the most out of other classroom teachers who have found mm-hmm. something that works and they want to share it with you. So that yeah. was really great. And do you think you'll ever present at NCT? I do. Um, I'm already on um, a one submission proposal. Yeah. I think a couple of AP Lit friends were like, Gina, you're doing one. And I was like, okay. So <laughs> I haven't written anything for it yet, but I think my name's on it. So yeah, I think That's I awesome. probably will at some point. Yay. Did you get to see Susan? I got to hang out with Susan. Yeah. Oh, was- our Susan is a friend of the podcast. She's done a couple of little uh, collabisode episodes for us. How is Susan? Susan's amazing. Susan yeah. is running she the joint. She, she did present four times. She had yeah. four sessions and an author meet and greet. So Susan, yeah. yeah, she basically runs everything. And Susan was the one saying, you're presenting with me. I've already filled out the paperwork. And I was like, okay. So... No, she, so I have yet to meet. Uh, we're talking about Susan Barber. For those of you who don't know uh, who we're talking about, she is an AP Lit guru the as well. Yes, the one and only. She's just a wonderful human. Yes. Um, follow her on Facebook. Go go to her Facebook groups. And yeah, she's just a rock star. That's so exciting. Okay, so SD was amazing. I really should have gone. It was in the Midwest. And I just, I had just gotten home. We did, I did a PD in Wyoming in the middle of October. And it just felt like too much to try to do two big trips back to back. And uh, I should have been fine. Uh, I I, I regret it. But do do they announce next year? Where are they going next year? It's in Boston. It's in Boston next year. Boston. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Boston's like the cheapest flight from Chicago. It's like 60 bucks. Ooh. Will I see you there? And will you? I think I might. I'm also annoyed. I've always been annoyed at the time of year that they do it. Like, I don't Mm. understand well, when I was in the classroom, I always was teaching those days. Yeah. And it was like, oh. Yeah, I had to take days off. And it was – I help out with our school's musical, so it was right at the end. Luckily, I didn't have to miss any performances, but it's right after the musical, so I feel like I – this is why I, like, I just needed a break. You know, I'm finally on a little bit of a break because it's been, like, one thing after the other. But at least I didn't have to present this year. I just had to go, so. Yeah, they, they always gave us a hard time because we typically never had classes for all Thanksgiving week. So, like, that Friday was, like, a, you know – you can't miss the day before a break kind of, Oh my gosh. It was always a challenge. Yeah, I know. The only entity I've been to is the, the Chicago one. It was at okay. the Palmer house, like a hundred years ago. It was yeah. Four ago. <sighs> I miss it. Okay. Boston. I'm putting it on my calendar. Like Yay. literally. Okay. Okay. So let's switch gears. Cause I know we could talk forever and I'm pretty sure everyone could listen forever, which is as everyone knows, Gina is also hanging out with us in happy hour this month, December, 2023. But I would love to pick your brain about Shakespeare, which I'm sure you're really gonna, you know, be upset about. Yeah, I hate him. Super annoying. (laughs) 
We love Shakespeare at the podcast. Um, and I'm, I am personally, I think Maria is too. We are definitely on a mission to like change some narratives around teaching Shakespeare. And, you know, I think it's so interesting to live in this world. We live, we live between many worlds, right? We live in this gray area of we are just rah, rah for new, fresh, Faces, authors, stories, protagonists, experiences, YA, we're, we're all about it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're also not of the camp of abandoning everything that's been done before. I think it's yeah. all about like having this new vision of how difficult texts that have a place kind of continue on, but with a new way of approaching them. And they kind of, they work alongside all of these other new uh, voices and things. Tell me about the inspiration behind your Shakespeare course that you teach at your school. So yeah, Shakespeare is, it's just a class called Shakespearean literature. Um, We do have a Brit Lit class. It's separate from Brit Lit. And I, I teach Brit Lit too, or I haven't in a while, but it's technically my class. There's no Shakespeare in it because Shakespeare has its own semester long class. And I'm not lying. It's probably like the most popular English class at our school. Like people like it. I have set it up to be I don't know if this is specific to my students, but I feel like in general, my students love reading plays, especially out loud. They don't always love making them act it out, but it's like the little readers theater where they're like, "Ooh, good, I'm McDuff, okay? And then they skip ahead to see if they die or something. So um, <laughs> they like they like reading it out loud. And that's really the main thing that we do. Also, one of the rules in that class, I tell them, is I will never make you do any of the readings at home alone, which I will admit, I mean, it takes some of the rigor out. This is not an AP Lit class. But when they read it alone, they go, what? I don't get it. So when we read it in class, I can be like, what's he saying there? And they go, I don't know. And I'm like, what's the vibe? What's the tone? They're like, he seems kind of annoyed. And I'm like, he does, doesn't he? And so then we can talk about like what this word means. Like there are just some lines, the lady doth protest too much. Well, they don't know that protest means promise. And once they learn that, it changes the whole meaning. Or where for art though, Romeo, that doesn't mean where. That means why. Students aren't, how would they know that by themselves without some help? So it's really just about like, hey, when they said this, it actually means this. But also, what's the follow-up line mean? Like, what's, what's her tone? And so just kind of discussing these critical plays more as conversations about the human experience. That's all they are. These plays are 400 years old and they are still about jealousy, betrayal, loneliness, love. I mean, they're just, they're just still so pure in their emotional applications. My students really liked Othello this last year because I love love Othello too. It's my favorite one. And it's so hard to teach because it starts so slow. But if you're just like, you guys, he's lying. He's always lying. Iago, he's just always lying to you. And you keep track of all the lies that he tells. By the end, they're like, this guy is an evil genius. And I love how much I hate him. You know, like they just get so into it or – Another thing that I love about the plays is that I was actually having this conversation with my 11-year-old son the other day, that the challenge behind the plays is that there's no stage directions, there's no parentheticals, and so you get only the dialogue. It is such a masterclass, really, of studying dialogue. Mm. And I wrote a one-act 
a few years back about Hamlet. We were in COVID. And so we did Hamlet through Zoom. What if Hamlet took place in Elsinore, but only through Zoom? And so it'd be like, did you hear what happened to Polonius? Oh my gosh. (laughs) And so I had, um, my Gertrude was very sympathetic. And Gertrude was actually like, dominated by her new husband and you could see her like trying to help Hamlet and another teacher in the school was like why did you make Gertrude so sympathetic she's terrible and I was like is she though like all we have are her words what if she was you know somehow blackmailed into marrying Claudius we don't know that she was part of the plot to kill him and he's like and I was he was basing it on a movie where someone had made choices in that movie but I was like you can't always judge that's a director's choice but there's so many other ways that you can you can change it because you only have the words so I like to stop and be like okay how's our our Gertrude is Gertrude evil and she's like after the throne or is Gertrude a victim and then I usually we have half and half and so we discuss why we like interpretations that way um so I think it's just about making it sorry I realize now I'm rambling I know you are not I could talk about Shakespeare. apologize do not apologize continue yeah I just think that it's about taking the snob factor away from it and and also taking away the hard label and really Shakespeare hung out in bars with a lot of people who drank too much and told dirty jokes like he had a lot more in common with the common man today than people realize he just had a really elevated sense of vocabulary and he threw that in there so that the, the wealthy people would still want to go but it's it is a good mix of high and low level and so i think that there is a lot for everyone when you can teach those plays well and just make them engaging and welcoming you know so do you i'm curious about your like other levels does shakespeare come up in 9 10 11 or is this an only a senior class like how does it work at your school um ninth grade they all do romeo and juliet okay which is pretty standard. And then in 10th grade, we used to do Julius Caesar. I've run out of time for it. Also, Julius Caesar is so good for the first three acts. And then everyone disappears. And there's like all these new people. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think Shakespeare got confused. Sometimes I criticize him. And so I think he got confused in the middle of Julius Caesar. And so we only study really act three and we study it situated in the world of rhetoric. So we study... Brutus's funeral speech versus Mark Antony's funeral speech. And we talk about rhetoric there. So that's the only place really that he's living in 10th grade because so many of them know that probably in a year or two, they'll take Shakespeare. And then we, it's not in any other electives because we have an entire elective. And in that class, I've switched it around, but currently what we do is Macbeth, Much Ado About Nothing, Hamlet, Othello, and Twelfth Night. Okay. A nice mix. Oh, that's so cool. That's it is a semester class or year? Yeah, it's a semester. Wow. Wow. Oh my I gosh. Love so it. It's so fun. It's just me, like, I get really physical when I'm teaching Shakespeare. Lots of throwing things. I like to stand yeah. on desks and stuff like that. So it's just like a one woman show for about 45 minutes where it's related to whatever we're reading. It gets really like a fever dream after the class. I'm like, what do we do? What just happened? Where did I go? <laughs> like I just get very carried away. That So you're describing so much of the joy of that I always feel when I'm in a play, like Shakespeare, of course, but like, even like when I teach Raisin or Fences, Mm -hmm. or like, there's just something so, um, 
I don't know. I love getting wrapped up in moments of a play, but like, it's not so hard to pull yourself back to what's going on. Like it is when you're in a novel, you know, there's not still another 400 pages to go. uh, There's this, those natural like rising and falling is happening much more frequently in a play. And I love that. I'm curious your thoughts about this. So we typically advise our teachers who are teaching, teaching Shakespeare in a mainstream course. So not as an elective, Um, but our philosophy really centers around like, especially, and I'm going to say this, like, especially with kids who are struggling readers. Oh yeah. You had mentioned like, you don't send the book home. We actually have stopped giving students the entire text and rely so heavily on the production. Oh yeah. Paired with close reading. Um, That is like, for me has been the sweet spot of we can't go through an entire play the way that you're describing the elective number one, like, developmentally at ninth and 10th grade, it's a totally different ball game. Yeah. Um, but two, like when it's the first or second time you've gotten into Shakespeare, it's a, it's a little hard to like find your ground, you know, get yeah. your, your bearings. Is that, are, would you recommend similar practices, especially toward the beginning of their, their experience? For sure. I mean, you, okay. no matter what you have to watch it, plays are meant to be seen. So you have to watch a production and the beauty of Shakespeare. He's, He's not bound under copyright. There are hundreds of different versions of each play. And I think it's really beneficial. Like in Romeo and Juliet, they watch portions of the old one from the 60s. They watch portions of the one from the 90s. And sometimes they even watch a scene or two from like Romeo and Juliet. Because by seeing the different interpretations, they can see what was a choice versus (laughs) what's in the text, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, With Hamlet, I show bits and pieces from three different versions. And for sure... There are portions that are slow. There are portions that are better seen than read. And so there is nothing wrong with picking and choosing instead of, um, I would just caution away from be like, oh, that, that part's not important. Let's just skip it entirely. Instead, see if you can do like a summary or maybe like, here's why we're skipping it. It's not because it's bad. It's because it's crazy, crazy long. Or when you can show it instead of reading it, like Hamlet's the play within a play, that thing reads terribly, but it watches so well. So we'll actually watch two different versions of it and then compare how it was done. So it's definitely okay to supplement or to replace with productions, I would say. And then the close reading, close reading of Shakespeare is really, really hard. So taking just a speech or even better, just a conversation. A speech alone can be pretty hard. Like a soliloquy is hard, but a conversation between two characters, especially if they're side characters, there's some really good meat in there, actually. There's one scene in Macbeth. It's right after Macbeth became king, but they don't show the coronation. Instead, they have this random person called Old Man talking to Macduff about why he's not going to the coronation. And so that's the one I want to study. I'm like, what's Macduff saying that's throwing shade at Macbeth, but he's not allowed to throw shade at Macbeth because he's the king now? Where can you see some snide comments from him in here? And like, then they get so much more than maybe what they would have seen, you know? You're reminding me too. I think another piece of advice I would throw out to teachers would be like, stay the course. Like Mm -hmm. it only gets better. Like when you're first starting your play or you're first starting the unit, it it does take the kids a minute to adjust, but they will, they will adjust. And then there's this, this beautiful, like act two sweet spot when all of a sudden they start talking like they're experts and you're like, wait a second, you were one week ago complaining about doing something quote too hard or Shakespeare's too whatever. And then they're like, they get the rhythm, right? They get into 
it's like when you switch the radio to a new station, like it takes a minute to like adjust to a new genre mm-hmm. uh, and they're not in the genre. Why would they be? They're not, they're not there. So it takes them a minute. Yeah. I love that. So now, okay. Now I feel called out because when I taught Julius Caesar, I would teach acts one, two, and three, and then we would just watch four and five. Like I, no explanation. I would say it's all. I mean, <laughs> There are so many problems with it. Shakespeare, Pindarus. Oh my gosh! In Act Four, it's like meet. No, Act Four has nothing but the ghost. There's a ghost. The ghost. I, I almost didn't even watch it. Like it was so confusing. They're just it like doesn't make any sense. And then in Act Four, there's this terrible mist. Like like oh no, we thought it was so and so. It's Pindarus, and he kills himself. And it's like look how sad. And I'm everyone's like. Who is he? I'm like, I don't know. A new character that now we're supposed to mourn over his tragic death. But why? I like everyone go. Portia's swallowing coals. Like, damn. Like, why? Where'd Portia go? Oh, she just, yeah, she slices herself in the thigh and then she swallows coal. And there's just so much that I don't know what happened with Julius Caesar. There's so much goodness there, but you got to really wade through it. Well, and, and I think that that's just like permission, right? Permission to not, we're not, I would never recommend like, don't read a complete work, but right. with the reality of being a teacher also like be real and yes. like know where the meat is for what you're trying to achieve. If you're doing a rhetoric unit with Caesar, like mm-hmm. do acts two and three, like yeah. really read two and three and let one, four and five, like complete the thoughts around (laughs) around them but like it's okay it's okay i do the same thing with fahrenheit when i teach fahrenheit to sometimes to groups that are really struggling readers Mm -hmm. we'll spend the majority of the unit in part one yeah and then we'll kind of go and then part two and three happened and hooray circle of life whatever um but like they're getting the most meat out of like three days in BD's speech. Like they're yeah. like slowing down. It's okay for things not to be symmetrical and perfect. Right. All the time. right. Which no one ever told me in undergrad. No I one. Know. I know. It, well, that's again, like the, the, the purest approach. I, I'm never one, like don't, when there's so many people who aren't reading full books anymore, or they're not even allowed to teach full books, it's pure excerpts. And I think there is such a place for excerpts, but also students feel a real sense of ownership when they do get through an entire work. Like I've had AP students that say like, we read all of Hamlet. Like we, we, we watched a couple of scenes, but we did all of Hamlet. Did you know it's a long play? Like they feel really accomplished because they got through the whole thing, you know? trying to think of any of my longer books like we we have tend to have shorter books but yeah it's probably hamlet is like our longest thing that takes us i student taught jane eyre so well, that's big i student taught ap lit and that was the long one that we did but like i hadn't i had no idea what i was doing yeah you know what AP my AP students do Frankenstein and I do hear a lot of people say that they they skip around in Frankenstein but it's our first novel and I'm like no we're going to do all of it. We're going to talk about why these, you know, there's like two chapters and Victor just went for a hike. Like what <laughs> why is the hike there? But then there's I have a I have a purpose for it. Like we can talk about romanticism and then I'm like do you remember when we did romanticism? They're like, "Oh my gosh, he's a romantic." That makes so much more sense. And so it's just about finding a purpose behind all of that and then yeah, I think once I, for sure I would emphasize getting through one full text, but there's yeah. also no shame in skipping around or speeding ahead when necessary. And just giving her, you know, Gina and I are both speaking from, you know, I, I was in the classroom for 13 years. You're at 17. Like, you're not supposed to have it all figured out. Mm-mm. Like, <laughs> you're not. And like, advice- there will be some works that hit so hard with a class. And then the next year it fails. I had a a class, not even a class, an entire grade 
I was absolutely obsessed with the crucible. They couldn't stop talking about it. It like they would they would take it to their next class and be like, "Can you believe what Abigail did?" And like they were just <laughs> obsessed with it. And then the next year, I got sick for two days in the middle of the crucible, and they lost. Mm-hmm. I lost the whole class. They were like, "This is stupid." The witches aren't even real. Why are we still doing this? Like, it, I just lost all of it because of circumstances completely oh. out of my control. And I didn't, I didn't say, I'm a failure. I have to stop teaching the crucible. I was just like, well, that one didn't work. You know, let's not get sick hopefully next year. So it's, it's okay to have ebbs and flows with all of that. 100%. Gina, I do not want to stop talking, but I think people need to like, I don't know, get on with their day probably. But the good news is it's, this conversation does not have to end. We would love to have you guys jump on over to Happy Hour to listen to more of Gina's brilliance. She's actually giving away a whole nother resource over there, uh, which we've told you about already. So join us in Happy Hour. And Gina, can you tell people where else they can find you to get connected with you outside of this interview? Yeah. So the main place would probably be my website. So my website is called litandmore.com. It's just, I'm sure this will be in show notes or linked or whatever, but it's lit dash and dash more. And then I have a TPT store of the same name and I have I have quite a few products in here. It's, it's over 300 now. Hang on. I'm actually going to look at what, what the number is now. Oh no. There's 381. There's 381 things in here. Good gracious. When did that happen? Listings. Good lord. Yeah, that's a lot. And so I've got stuff for um I've been really trying to emphasize a lot more for my ninth and tenth grade students. So there's ninth and tenth. There's tons for AP Lit. I have a unit for every Shakespeare play that I have ever taught as well. And I mean lots of poetry as well. There's there's a little bit for everyone in there. Well, I encourage everyone to go take Gina up on her offer. Go take a look and don't forget to download the bell ringers um, in the show notes so that you can see her work, get inside Gina's mind and uh, right. And then use them, go ahead and use them where yeah. whatever time of the year you are at, whether that's, you're going to experiment mid year, you're going to just go for it at the beginning of the year or just another, you know, it was a rough weekend. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. You've, I mean, we've had those too. Where yeah. I'm like, Ooh, I need something for Monday and yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So there you go. All right. Well, Gina, thank you so much for being here. We genuinely appreciate you being here and hopefully you'll come back. I would love to come back. Thank you for having me. And thank you for anyone who's listening to this. I appreciate it. All right. Well, thanks for being here and we'll check soon. Thanks again for listening to brave new teaching. We'd love to keep the conversation going over on Instagram. And while you're there, check out the links in our bio for the most up-to-date events going on in the Brave New Teaching community. Thanks for being here and have a great week at school. 